universe is. Miss Universe Arboni Gabrielle arrived in Manila at the Ninoy Aquino International Airport amid a throng of fans and supporters. The Filipino-American fashion designer flew in here as a special guest at the coronation night of Miss Universe Philippines. More details in this report. It is day one. Miss Universe 2022 Arboni Gabrielle is back in the country for the first time since winning the crown earlier this year. Gabriel arrived at Anaia on May 10 and was welcomed by her Filipino relatives, including her dad, Remigio Gabriel. It's been five years since the half-Filipino, half-American beauty queen and fashion designer last visited the Philippines, her father's home country. Her first engagement as a special guest for the Miss Universe 2023 pageant was at the MUP Fashion and Charity Gala Night, where Gabriel wore a blue and silver terno by Filipino designer Mark Bumgarner. It was amazing. The fans were super energetic, got to take photos with a lot, and there was this one really sweet girl that sang the Star Spangled Banner. I was not expecting that, so that was really cute. In her speech, Gabriel mentioned that the Philippines is one of her most favorite places to visit because Filipinos are so welcoming, charming, funny, and have the best hearts. But on her second day in the country, Gabriel says she learned another admirable thing about Filipinos, which is our incredible sense of strength and courage. This, as Gabriel mentioned, met young patients undergoing cleft surgery with the help of the Smile Train organization. Smile Train is really cool. They're a very impactful organization because they perform cleft-based surgeries for those in need. So I'm going to meet the patients, meet some of the kids in the family, and spend some time with them. Gabriel watched a six-month-old child undergo surgery for double cleft, after which she earned even greater respect for Smile Train, their parents, and the Filipino people in general. I mean, I just can't imagine the strength and courage that it takes the family, the mothers, and the kids. So I commend them all, have a lot of respect. I'm just thankful that I got to be a small part in their experience. Following Saturday's coronation night, Arboni Gabriel is set to spend a few more days in the country to reunite with more family members, participate in more charitable causes, and experience more of what makes her Filipino roots unique. She's a title holder of many firsts and aims to elevate Filipino and Asian-American representation in the pageant world. She is the first Filipino-American to win both Miss USA and Miss Universe, and she is the CEO of her own sustainable clothing line. Joining us now in New York for Thought Leaders, please welcome Miss Arbani Gabrielle. Good to see you, Arbani. How is it going? 
Hello, thank you for having me. It's going well here in New York. Well, how are you feeling ahead of your Philippine visit? We're all looking forward to that. You're the special guest of the Miss Universe Philippines 2023 Coronation Night. I am really looking forward to it as well. This is going to be a very special trip. I've been waiting for this to happen. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm very excited about it. I haven't been to the Philippines since 2018. So to come back now as Miss Universe, I know will be such a special experience. Five years. That's a long time for you not to get back here. And you'll get your Phil Avensamadas for sure. You're Favorite Filipino pastry. My favorite. <laughs> yeah, you know your dad, Rumihio Arbon, Bonzon, often took you on trips back to the Philippines, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what has he said about his roots here and how his journey took him to the U.S.? My father tells me of growing up with his seven siblings in Manila, Philippines all the time. And, you know, he grew up in church and that really opened up a world of opportunities. And that's where he was actually um, had an opportunity of a scholarship. Somebody in church told him about a scholarship to come to America. And my dad was very studious. He was very hardworking and he was very observant, he said, growing up. So when he found this opportunity for the scholarship, he went full force for it and that was kind of his ticket into America. He was the first one of his whole family to do so and that opened the door for his other siblings to come and other people in his family to come to America and just to build that life and you know to work hard and work towards the American dream. And his closest to the church also is something that he brought to the U.S. because your dad and your mom Dana got married here in the Philippines. So whereabouts and what stories do they often tell you about kids, about the, the kids? I mean, you've got three other elder brothers of that significant mm -hmm. moment in their lives. Yes, my mom had never been to the Philippines before and she actually went with my dad to get married and I thought that was so adventurous of her and she didn't even have any of her family there but I guess she was just so excited and in love with my dad and she had a curiosity for life so she happily got married with all of my dad's side of the family there in the Philippines and I still look and see that she had three wedding dresses and they had embroidery on them and different colored flowers that my Lola had helped her pick out and sew together. So I think it's so cool to see the differences because here in America, we have a traditional white dress for wedding dresses and hers is so different. And that actually was a lot of inspiration for me for designs that I've worked on. Exactly. And now you're, you're the girl boss of your own clothing line. And we'll get to that later. But I really loved how you said Lola. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do, do you uh, speak Tagalog at home with dad or Taglish or, or English and Tagalog? Well, what's it like? You know, it's so funny. My dad really didn't teach me growing up. I would be mostly exposed to Tagalog around family functions or different events. But I always tell him, I said, Dad, why didn't you teach me? I have always wanted to learn. So as of recently, I found a Tagalog speaking coach because I said, you know what? I have to learn already. I've been saying this for years and it's time to do it. So I just recently started. I'm about three classes in. 
Wow, and how is it going? Madali lang ba or mahirap? <laughs> you know, it's it's going good so far. I'm trying to listen to podcasts every day and just have it exercise that in my mind so I can hear it. And I really need to find somebody here in New York to practice speaking Tagalog to because I think that's what where it will really be set in my mind and I'll remember things a lot more. Yeah, you're in good company. There's a huge <laughs> Filipino community there in New York. You're the first Miss Universe winner in, in an era under Thai owner and Jakapong, uh, Jura Tatip, uh, the first trans woman to own the Miss Universe organization. Uh, you welcome the change, describing it exciting and new. But how are you seeing this bring forth the, the kind of transformational leadership and, and force for good that you want to propagate? Yes, talking about change, I think it's the best way to go about change because it can be scary, it's the unknown, so I just embrace it. And for me, it's exciting to be the first first uh, Miss Universe under the new era. And I know there's a lot of changes that are being made, but Anne has allowed me to fully be myself. And she's asked me what my goals are. And I think that's the most important part in order for me to be the most transformational leader possible. So for example, when we did our Asia tour back in February and we visited Thailand, she knows that I'm so passionate about sustainability and in fashion. So she gave me the opportunity to actually speak at a fashion school in Thailand. And the class was actually all, the class was all about sustainability and students came, they were able to listen to me talk about my career. And they also asked questions and it was opportunities like that, that I'm so passionate about and I have knowledge about. And it was so amazing that she gave me that opportunity to speak on that. It's a great way to start because you've already started well be before you went to the pageantry world. Uh, since 15, you've been heavily involved in, in the clothing business. But I wanted to, to ask you about why you think it's such a scary moment to actually take something new when right now you're facing something so exciting such as sustainability. I would say something new can be scary because it's the unknown and you don't know if it will work out at, or not. I think um, when we're comfortable with things, we know every have everything in place and we don't want to switch up things. And, you know, comfort is a nice place to be. But to me, it's also a scary place to be because you want to continue to challenge yourself and not be scared to fail and go after anything, whether it's going to work out or not. I think you're always growing and challenging yourself if you try new things. And that's why I'm very excited to be the new Miss Universe under this new era. I'm going to walk back a few months. Uh, in your homecoming party in, in Houston last March, you told the crowd it was a win for Asian Americans, Filipino Americans, and just anybody who goes after something that is such a big dream. From your perspective, what strides have there been in terms of representation, giving the minority a platform, a voice? I think um, now more than ever, especially in America, what I'm seeing that Asian American uh, culture is more and more represented, especially in our pop culture and with the younger generation. I mean, for my win, for example, also we have Michelle Yeoh who just won an Oscar and she was the first Asian American woman to win uh, Best Actress in an Oscar. So that was groundbreaking. And there's, there's people that I meet all the time and I come across and they're Asian and they tell me that their, 
my win was so important to them and it really allowed them to believe in their self, themselves. And I think it's so important in society that we continue to see leaders and people that we look up to that we resonate with, whether that's culturally or any other reason. They say, hey, I'm like them and I can do that too. And it also helped a lot that you lived in in a backdrop that, that really supported that kind of growth. But could you describe for us what kind of milieu or backdrop did Houston provide in you growing up and enabling you to, to dream big? Yes, so I'm from Houston, Texas, born and raised. And some people think Texas is, they ask me, do I ride horses everywhere? But that is not the case. Houston is a very big city and it's extremely diverse. I know my childhood in middle school and in high school, I think we had every culture in that high school and that really enriched my life to be open-minded and there are, is a big filipino population that actually lives in houston because we have a large medical center so that really just taught me to never judge anybody i mean people would have different foods they would bring to lunch or different ways of eating and if anything i thought that was really interesting and that really just put me forth in life to just always ask questions be curious about people's upbringings or backgrounds and I think diversity is just it's more fun that way and that includes food and we're getting to that you've made a mention <laughs> yeah. of food what do you appreciate most about Filipino culture and traditions in the way that your dad brought you up as a Filipino and your mom as an American in Texas Okay, yes. Well, besides food, um, I think one beautiful thing about Filipino culture is family is so important. I remember we would always make it a point in the summer to get together with our cousins, no matter where it is, go on a small vacation. And even if we only rented one or two hotel rooms, we would invite everybody along and we would fit everybody into the hotel room and some people would sleep on the floor, but we would make it work because we just wanted to be together. And I was blessed to be able to spend a lot of time with so many of my cousins growing up and even so now and they're basically like my brothers and sisters um, so my ates and quias they have my back and Filipino culture is just so warm and inviting they always joke with me we always mess with each other we're hard on each other but it's all love and I really appreciate that another thing that my dad taught me was just how to make things work and you know build your own dreams I have this special childhood memory where I wanted a play place in the backyard I saw a photo of it and I showed my dad and it was quite expensive but he said we can build it ourselves so he drew a whole sketch of a playground I helped him kind of design it and then we went to a hardware store we bought wood and cement and we we basically built it with the help of his team and it was so cool to see that being engineered and he taught me you know whatever resources you have you can just pull it together and make it work that's so awesome do you still have the play place that play place is long <laughs> gone now i wish i did but you have it in pictures and that's so nice for you to share a little bit of an anecdote from the past i know that you've stressed the need to embrace your roots you you have been quoted as saying uh to be fill out is a unique and beautiful thing and that you did not embrace it as much as you did at first. What was that turning point for your decision to embrace your Filipino-American roots? And how did it influence the trajectory of your life and career journey? 
Yes, I say that because growing up more so in middle school and in high school, it's not as cool to be different and to stand out and be unique. Or I didn't think that when I was younger. And fast forward to really being in college and even after college, I was really questioning, you know, my identity. I am Filipina and I'm American and I want to be closer to be to my roots and to be able to talk about both of them. Being Texan, I was so proud of and I knew a lot about Texas, but the Filipino culture, I mean, I was blessed enough to visit the Philippines, but I wanted to learn more and more. For example, why I'm learning Tagalog as well. And for me, that was that really opened up doors to connect with other Asian Americans. And I think when you connect with people, that's what life is all about. When you feel a similarity to something, it brings joy and happiness. So that's why I always tell people, you know, you should connect with your people because then you you find that warmth in your heart that you can connect on an even uh, deeper level. And that makes our life so much more special. Right, and it's 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 a shared sort of a journey it becomes to be for for those uh, for those folks that you hang out with uh, with the same kind of background as you, and it kind of takes away that self doubt that come alongside exactly. the struggle of just embracing your roots. So, mm-hmm. how did you work out eliminating that self doubt all throughout your career so far, and how how you constantly ensure that you guard against falling back, especially amid all the negativity on social media. For me, self-doubt, it always wants to creep its way back to me. I think it's like weeds. And if you don't tend to the weeds, they will come back. So I have a few different ways I combat my self-doubt. And, you know, sometimes when I'm not feeling 100% beautiful that day or capable because my mind is telling me otherwise for whatever reason, I have a great support system. I have mentors and I have friends. I love to talk to them and they'll, they'll bring me back up and they'll remind me of things that I bring to the table that sometimes I forget and vice versa. I'll do the same for my friends when they're having a really low day or something they didn't didn't go their way or maybe they had a small failure and I will be that support system for them. And I think it's that vice versa and, you know, just always having a community and people having your back. You know, we can't go through life alone. We have to push each other forward. So I think that's my recipe to continue fighting the self-doubt whenever it wants to creep back in. Who are your mentors? I have mentors that I've met actually through pageant training. I have a couple of coaches slash mentors and now life friends back in Texas, like my speaking coach, uh, my pageant coach that helped me style. And then I have best friends that I grew up with. They're all back in Texas, but you know, we'll hop on FaceTime or do a phone call and just always keep in touch with each other. I've learned uh, being Miss Universe and my life has basically turned upside down. I always want to keep the people that have been with me since day one to keep me grounded. Well, I would use it to be a transformational leader. As a very passionate designer, been sewing for 13 years, I use fashion as a force for good. In my industry, I'm cutting down on pollution through recycled materials when I make my clothing. I teach sewing classes to women that have survived from human trafficking and domestic violence. And I say that because it is so important to invest in others, invest in our community, and use your unique talent to make a difference. We all have something special, and when we plant those seeds to other people in our life, we transform them and we use that as a vehicle for change.
Now, before being crowned Miss Universe, you, you worked as a lead sewing instructor at Magpies and Peacocks. This is a, a nonprofit design house in Houston. And there you, you taught the survivors of domestic violence and human trafficking and how to sew. What did you come away with this exposure and engagement? Well, through working with women that have been through so many different harsh experiences in life, whether that's human trafficking or a domestic violence relationship, I've learned that a support system is everything. So when I would come in and I would teach them sewing classes, they were basically learning a new skill and it was putting them in an environment for growth and knowledge really does equal power. So I would see from day one until the end of our class in week three or four, a difference change when a woman, a woman or a person in general just learns something new because you feel empowered when you realize, hey, I can actually do this. And I also learned, you know, those experiences, people want to relapse and going kind of back to self-doubt. Sometimes we want to fall back into the places we used to be, but it was really hard, but challenging and rewarding to just reframe that mindset. And when you just show somebody that they are capable of doing things they never realized through hard work and support, it can really change their trajectory in life. I mentioned earlier at 15, you were already upcycling uh, vintage pieces. I mean, how did that evolve into something that is eco-conscious? Um, I, I came across the, the first label that you actually had. It, it's called Babae Tribe. So you understood Tagalog even before you took on a Tagalog coach and then into your current sustainable fashionable uh, fashion label. Yes, so I was upcycling before I even knew I was doing that. I, I would get a lot of my clothing from secondhand stores. That's where my mom and I like to shop. And we would take home clothes and alter them to make them fit better. And that's really where I realized that I could make clothes into my own, put my own personality and unique twist on that. And that really inspired me to just start sewing in general. And I enrolled in sewing classes and fast forward to about, I think, seven years into sewing, I was in college and I learned that the fashion industry is actually a, a large polluting industry. There's a lot of textiles and fabric waste and I had no idea. So I said my upcycling or how I'm taking thrifted pieces can actually have a deeper purpose and I can speak on this and educate people because I think a lot of people are unaware of of all the dangers that the fashion industry is doing when it comes to pollution. So that's when I said, you know what, as a passionate designer, let me make this my mission to make fashion have so much more of a purpose. Well, I've looked up your clothing lines online site and, and all your offerings are sold out. I mean, was it already like this before or, or after your win as Miss Universe? No, that happened after my win. I think a lot of people went to my website and they, they bought uh, what I had left. So it all sold out. And, you know, I'm not able to work on it too much because I'm Miss Universe and there's a lot of duties, but I'm doing what I can here and there to continue building my brand. And I'm just thinking about it every day, five years from now, 10 years from now as well. Right. And you do uh, sell sustainable fashion label designs, everything from, from $38 t-shirts to $850 gowns, all made from, from recycled material. In terms of profitability though, how, how profitable has it been after 15 years? Is it turning out to be as financially rewarding as you expected it to be, even well before you won Miss Universe? 
Well, I've been sewing for 15 years, but I really started selling products on my website and having my business run about maybe three years ago. So I would say it was a source of income, but not my only income. I was also teaching sewing classes, doing custom work as well. But I'm, I'm hoping to make it more and more profitable, profitable as I continue to grow it. I'm going to go back to one of your causes, and, and that is to fight pollution in the fashion industry, one of the greatest realizations you've had in, in an industry you love. W what are some of the most disturbing realities in the industry that's prompting you to be a part of the solution? Well, for one, I've learned that all, uh, about 85% of textiles and clothing just gets thrown into the trash and an even smaller percentage of that actually goes to a secondhand store, about 15%. And an even smaller percentage of that actually gets recycled. So if you think about all the clothing that is made every single day, there's new clothing, there's new pieces and designs every single day. but. There's a lot of input and the output is just filling up different landfills and I know that it's flooding different markets. If it's not here in America, it's sent somewhere else. So for me, we need to cut down on that pollution and that's the harsh reality of it. But luckily, I think there's a movement going on in fashion and it's all about upcycling and sustainability and just raising more awareness of it where I think people are continuing to talk about it more because for me, it's my hopes one day that it just becomes the new normal. Amid all that talk and, and the movement in the industry, you know, some in the uh, fashion industry would argue that it's all about striking a balance between reducing the carbon footprint of your clothing line while focusing on the quality and longevity of your garments. So how are you reconciling these two important considerations for your business? Yes, I think it is all about balance. I think one thing when I source materials, instead of sourcing them from five different places and shipping them in from overseas, I can use the resources that I have here in New York and realize that I don't have to create so that my carbon footprint can be smaller if I'm resource uh, sourcing locally. And I think that's one thing to take into consideration, but I think sustainability, you don't have to be perfect. And I think you said it right. It's all about balance and finding ways that we can do it here and there. And, you know, don't be hard on yourself. Sometimes I get a little overwhelmed trying to check off all of the boxes, but I think I would just tell anybody do what you can for now. But if there was one box that you might want to have a, a harder think is cost. That's a huge challenge. Millennials and Gen Z, the largest demographic for all kinds of clothing items, may well be supportive of your cause, but may not be able to afford it. So how do you win them yes. over? I'm sorry? How do you win them over? I think it's uh, teaching people to be more intentional with what they're buying and knowing that if you're paying a little bit more for something, it needs to be higher quality. I think sometimes when we pay more for clothing, it's still the same quality as something that's a little bit less expensive. So I think we just need to always take accountability. I mean, for me as a designer, if I'm gonna charge more, I know it's gonna last longer. And I mean, in turn, that makes it more sustainable. And I understand not everybody can afford expensive pieces, but it's if you keep, uh, 
keep that in mind instead of buying five shirts that you know are not going to last you very long or look at holes very quickly realizing that you can invest in one shirt pay a little bit more but it can be a staple piece in your closet and it will last you a longer time another suggestion to do is if you're buying a little bit of cheaper clothing if that's really in your price point that's totally fine but if you get a hole in it you can take it to the tailor instead of just throwing it away or you can swap it with a friend as well. That's real good practical advice. What about in terms of labor, better working conditions and higher pay? They're just some of the challenges when you talk mm -hmm. about labor in the fashion industry. It's common to employ labor at a low wage and most of the time it's wage per piece cloth and that leads to substandard manufacturing practices. How are you addressing this industry challenge with your own? Well, for me personally, right now I'm making mostly all of my pieces or I know where they're being made and that's I'm sourcing it, whether it's in Houston or here in New York. So I know the people that are making my garments and it's under fair uh, working conditions. But I think companies, what they're continuing to do and it's growing is they're being more transparent and they're understanding where the clothing is coming from and checking off the boxes and making sure the garments that their factories are being made in, that there's no child labor, that there's not unfair working conditions. And I think if we actually look into bigger companies and everybody looks into where we are sourcing and where our factories are and how the conditions are and making sure that we're only working with ethical factories, I think that can make a really big difference. When you look beyond the U.S., from your perspective, how are you seeing sustainable fashion in the Philippines evolve as you work with the Filipino designers uh, such as Patrick Isorena and, and Rian Fernandez, among many others? Well, I know Patrick, when he created my Woman on the Moon costume, there was a lot of pieces involved, but he used some recycled pieces, I'm aware. And then Rian, he's all about slow fashion and craftsmanship. So a piece that he's created for me, I have about three of his dresses and those are something that I will cherish and have for the rest of my life. I will probably pass it down to my family. And those are things that will stay with me forever. I would never throw those away. So <laughs> sustainable fashion can be something that you know you'll keep forever instead of throwing it away or, you know, looking for different resources that are um, recycled or more ethical as well. Now, Miss Universe 2023 is going to be the first opportunity that moms and wives can compete as the Miss Universe organization announced significant changes in the candidates' eligibility in 2022. How do you think it's going to influence the way the pageantry is perceived across the globe? I think people are going to see that pageantry can be open to more more women. It will be more inclusive. I know that there's married women that are very excited about that. I have a friend over here. She just got married, but her dream was to always go to Miss Universe, and now she can continue to do that. So I hope this sparks more inspiration for women to see themselves at Miss Universe, to compete on that beautiful stage. And I hope this shows the world that, you know, there's a, a large array of women that can go to Miss Universe and get involved in pageantry. It's all about women empowerment at the end of the day, and that means every type of woman. So I like the direction that it's headed. Miss Universe recently made an inclusive change, allowing mothers and married women to compete this year. What's another change you'd like to see and why? 
For me, I would like to see an age increase because <laughs> I am 28 years old and that is the oldest age to compete. And I think it's a beautiful thing. My favorite quote is, if not now, then when? Because as a woman, I believe age does not define us. It's not tomorrow, it's not yesterday, but it's now, the time is now that you can go after what you want. What about the direction when it comes to the age requirement? Because it pretty much remains the same uh, from 2022 when they made the decision to make some major changes. You've advocated mm -hmm. for an age increase beyond 28, saying that age does not define us. What conversations have there been within the Miss Universe organization on, on the prospects of a rethink on the age requirement? Well, I know that because there was such a, a large rule change with married women, divorced women, and women that have kids, I don't think as of right now, what I'm aware of, that the age requirement will change because it's such a big change already. And I think they're adjusting to that. And it's a, a lot of different rules that are put in place for franchises to open up the door for more women. So logistically, I am not quite sure if or when they will do that. Now, the pageantry wasn't something that you planned for, didn't you? I mean, it's it's something that was sort of a, a last recourse. You already joined when, when you were nearly uh, beyond the age requirement. What made you change your mind? What was the pivot? You know, I sat down with somebody that, um, a local director in Houston that had presented the idea to me. And, and I said, you know, I don't know. This was never in my life plans. I never saw myself in pageants. I don't really know what it's about. And I don't think I have time. And she gave me two good uh, pieces of, of advice. And she says, well, you make time for things in life that you want to make time for. And I said, that's a, that's a good point because we're all busy at the end of the day. So. If you want something, you'll carve out that time. And then she, she allowed me to go home and think about it. But she told me, you know, tell me your decision the next day. She said, but I believe you should always give something in life a try once. So when I was going to sleep that night, I was thinking, should I go after this whole pageantry journey? Should I enter this competition or not? I kept having her voice in my head telling me, just try it, go after it in once. And I mean, if you don't like it, at least you tried instead of just sitting back comfortable and having that question of what if. Yeah, but it got you trying more than once. <laughs> and it uh, yes. had to be three times before you won Miss Universe. Yes, three times before I won uh, the state level, which was Miss Texas, and then three months later on to Miss USA, and three months later on to Miss Universe. Well, what does that teach you about resilience? Um, it's, it's a word that you described your dad with, uh, that you learned resilience from him. And it's something that you showed all throughout the pageantry. Though late you may have come, you learned quite well. Yes, I think that is the most beautiful, you know, challenging experience looking back on being first runner up three times in a row and then doubting myself, thinking, you know what, this isn't for me anymore. But I said, let me give it a try one more time. And every time I would fail and only get first runner up, it really allowed me to take a step back and have the perspective of 
what can I do better? And every time I go into a competition the next time, I would be stronger. I would have a better walk or I knew that I needed to improve my communication skills. So every, every failure to me was just really an opportunity to improve myself. And I would never let that failure get me down too long. I think the most successful people that I look up to in life, they have failed more times than most other people. I think the more you fail, the closer you are to succeeding something so grand and large. That is so true. And your dad uh, really knew that you would make it because moments before you were crowned, he was interviewed and he said, she's going to win it. She's going to be Miss Universe tonight. <laughs> what, what I know. <laughs> he would say that to me all the time when I was training for Miss Universe. He would come into my apartment and he was always so confident. And there were some days I would think, Dad, you are just so crazy. Like, you have no idea. It's going to take a lot of work. I don't know if it's, I can do it. You just have to put your best foot forward. We will see. But he never had that doubt. It was unwavering and he was always so confident. And that definitely helped pick me back up when I was tired. And that just made me work even harder. And I think everybody should have that confidence in life. You should believe that you can do it without a doubt. No questions asked. So it was great to have him. It helps to have parents who are that supportive. A shot through the moon, I know my kid's gonna make it. But it's that mindset <laughs> that actually is quite amazing because you, you did struggle with self-doubt, but then you had a certain mindset that you carried with you, not just once, but three times. Talk us through that whole journey. Well, I would say the hardest part for me through pageantry was being able to communicate, conduct interviews, speak on stage, or just answer questions. Before I started training, I was extremely shy and at some points introverted. When I walked into a room, I didn't really know how to tell people what I did for a career, what my passions are, or I mean, just answer questions. I would just close up and so, I thought, how could I possibly go to Miss Texas or Miss USA or Miss Universe? These women speak so well. But that was the doubt that I learned. If I reframe my mindset, I can stop blocking myself some, for, from so many blessings. If we think we can't do something, I think that's kind of the end all be all. But if you really change that mindset and that belief that hey, I might not be a good speaker now, but I can change that. I can put the work in and I can just become a good speaker. So when I started telling myself that, it really opened up a world of growth and opportunity for me. What sacrifices did you have to get to get to where you are right now? Well, in my two and a half months of training, I really just went tunnel vision towards the goal because I felt like I had kind of, I was going to age out at 28. So I said, I want to make this happen. And I think it's possible if I do everything in my power to manifest it and put the work in. I think if I outwork everybody in this competition, I, I can really have a chance. And I don't wanna have any regrets of not going 100%. So for me, I actually moved my apartment closer to my gym trainer because I was working out with him all the time. So 
I, I moved close to my work in my gym where I was only five minutes away from both. So I can make the most use of my day and have more free time to do other training. And then when I was home and I was cooking dinner, I was always watching the news or listening to interviews of successful people and hearing how they would talk. So I gave up my weekends and my social life to always watch documentaries, interviews and design work. A lot of my friends, they were very understanding. I didn't see them for a long time, but they knew I had a goal in mind. I missed out on a lot of family functions and I really miss being social. I'm somebody that loves to go to events, but I missed out on a lot of those. And I thought if I can just put my head down and focus and cut out as much as possible, except what's going to get me to universe, then I think I can really change my life around. And the driving force was really to just make my life completely different. And you did have to give up the Ensaymadas for, for a time. Well, you're now in the process of creating what is possible and can be possible for, for other women. How would you want to be remembered in your reign as Miss Universe? I hope my reign inspires and reminds everybody that we are allowed to dream and we are allowed to dream big. I think there's a lot of times in society and things that happen in life, whether it's negativity or failure or even a negative comment that makes us believe we are not worthy of all of our wildest dreams. I definitely have times that I didn't feel like I was worthy of going to Miss Universe because of outside forces making me feel that way. But I hope to now use my voice as Miss Universe to continue to remind people that you owe it to yourself and take that responsibility and ownership of applying whatever your thoughts and dreams are to put that into action. And it's our personal duty to contribute that to ourselves and also the world. And what are you hoping to do as you get to Manila and be back after five years? <laughs> oh my, so many things. One thing that I'm very I'm looking forward to the most is visiting the street that my father grew up in because I have so many friends and family that I've seen grow up, see, see them have babies now. They've seen me grow up and I know they're so excited that I miss Universe. So I can't wait to give everybody a big hug there. And as Thought Leaders hopes to serve as an inspirational platform for those who have blazed a trail in their fields of endeavor, what parting message or messages would you have for those aspiring to go your way? I would just love everyone to remember that they have something special. We're all born with something that is unique only to ourselves, but it's up for us to put the work in to discover that. And when you discover your unique talent through trial and error and continuing to challenge yourself fearlessly, you'll find what makes you passionate and special. For me, that's designing. And I wanna remind everybody else, they have that in them, never doubt that. And when you find that, you will open up so many opportunities for yourself and you'll find your life is so much more fulfilling. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity for this conversation. Arbani, thank you so much. I wish you a safe journey back in the Philippines. Okay, thank you so much. Maraming salamat po. Maraming salamat din. See you soon. Well, catch us again next Tuesday, 9.30 p.m. Manila time on One News. You can also check out The Long Conversation on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. I'm Kathy Yang, and this is Thought Leaders.